Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back, friends, to Graveside Picnic. And the voice, the disembodied voice you're hearing through your microphone is none other than Carlo, or is it? Uh, But I am joined by another, perhaps spirit, perhaps not. Um, Ty Black is with us. How you doing, Ty? I'm doing good. Uh, As a uh, 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 recently... uh inspirited being i finally figured out how to start talking instead of uh, communicating through table wraps so i'm really pleased about that i mean if you think about it uh what is a modem except very very quick table wraps on an electronic device there you go there you go (laughs) (laughs) uh (laughs) so anyway folks we're we're gonna we're gonna be talking about um uh, Norman Partridge's Dark Harvest. Uh, this is a novella, right? Uh, it's not yes. a full full book. Um, and, and oh, go ahead. One, and it's one of the best kept secrets in horror, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I honestly, I I was just revisiting, you know, when it was made. Uh, like this, the, I don't know when it was written. Let's put it that way. Uh, when it was published was two thousand six, and um. And it really feels, um, in a way, like it was ahead of the curve. And we can get into that because there's some stuff there that feels very much like something that would have been written post-2008-2009 financial crash. Definitely. Uh, definitely. And it was, um, it was 10 years ahead of the, of the whole uh, novella craze within horror. And it's a sterling example of of how to use that format to its fullest extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think one of the reasons this book isn't better known uh, is you know you got you know the title Dark Harvest. Well, it's an accurate title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not very descriptive. You know, kind of you know kind of cliche. It could be a B movie horror picture. Uh, and then you have the name Norman Partridge. You know, Norman sounds like normal, then Partridge. You know, sounds like a, a bad 1970s musical sitcom. <laughs> if, he, if he had just called it Old Hacksaw Face and published it under the name uh, Dick Chad, just would have been exploded. <laughs> just would have exploded up the bestseller list. Well, it's funny because it, it, it won a, a Stoker that year, right? It um, did. It did. So I mean, like that's a big deal in the in the horror community. Uh, also, very cool little uh, uh, award. That that's the one that has like the little um, the little house, right? Yeah, the little creepy house with the door that opens. Amazing. I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I should probably start writing horror of some sort just on the off chance that I can win one of those <laughs> awards because that looks amazing. Do it, uh, man. Do it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the Shirley Jackson Award is really cool. But it's like a rock. <laughs> well, the the rock is for the nominees. The uh, ah. the winners get a fancy little sundial. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> I was going to say. So, so what what happens is, <laughs> what seems apropos is that when the nominee wins, everyone everyone that didn't <laughs> didn't win gets stoned. <laughs> yeah, you know they. they <laughs> Or they stone the they stone the winner. <laughs> yeah, that, there we go. <laughs> but um, uh, but you know, if I was pitching this uh, Dark Harvest to somebody, it's basically Halloween the book. 
You've got a, uh, it takes place in the Halloween 1963. Um, uh, you have a folk horror trick-or-treating ritual with, um, you know, the, the town starving their kids for uh, their, uh, their boys for five days and then unleashing them to catch old Hacksaw Face um, on Halloween night. Mm-hmm. And then... The- well, and it's 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 interesting because it's, he goes by like several names, like uh, also uh, what is it? Uh, first, the first one we we hear is the October Boy, uh, and then later on we hear also what is it? The uh, Saw uh, Sawtooth Jack. Sawtooth Jack. There we go. Yes, which is a great a great name, man. Honestly, really, you know, it's the Virgin Jack Skellington and the Chad Sawtooth Jack. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jack uh, Jack Skellington is uh, this whiny uh, skeleton who wishes he could be Christmas, while Sawtooth me, J- while Sawtooth Jack be- <laughs> while Sawtooth Jack burns down the town in an act of revolutionary violence. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to listen to? Like, let me be Santa, please. Versus, you know, <laughs> get out of my way, Jack. <laughs> I got some matches. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so our, 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 our setup here is it's, it's Halloween night. Our protagonist, Pete McCormick, is about to uh uh about to go out into the night to hunt down Sawtooth Jack. And uh and the the reward for hunting down Sawtooth Jack is you get to leave this one horse town. At least that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Ominous ominous mm-hmm. tone, etc. Well and and the the family uh of the of the the boy that actually manages to win uh also gets like all their bills like it, it they pay the the harvesters guild um which is like the shadowy uh sort of organization that doesn't really i i think it's well played because they don't really take center stage at any moment um it's just simply like an ominous type of thing that exists it's an organization that makes sure that your debts are paid if your boy wins and you get a brand new car and it's like uh i forget if they also get like they get a brand new car i don't remember if they get a brand new house but they um, do they do that's right Uh, and um and so it's like uh on the surface everybody wins Uh, and then that's one of the you know, to to go back to what you were saying about the the secret society, that's one of the 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 brilliant things about this book is it leaves a lot of negative space to the reader's imagination. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't yeah. really you, you you don't really need to know what what deal was struck with what spiritual forces to ensure you know the the bountiful harvest and why they do this, this thing. You don't even know about that. What you need to know is it's happening. <laughs> right. And that's, well, and and that's go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that one of the things that really sort of struck me, like it, it went off like a, like a gonging of a bell in my head was when I was just sort of skimming through it today. It, like the, the date itself, just like, wait a minute, hold on. This is October. Like it's October 31st. 1963 and i was like wait a minute holy shit this is like a a little bit less than a month from the jfk assassination and it sort of brings this weird like the the entire myth mythification of like somehow jfk being assassinated was like this loss of innocence for like everyone that was like uh, a kid at the time you know like basically all our all our boomer parents feel like that was when things started getting bad yeah and, and i and that, feel oh i'm sorry go ahead uh, and that's one of the, the 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 really clever things that partridge does here is not only is it full car and uh we'll, we'll talk about the, the the narrator here in a second but it's he weaves uh america he kind of weaves you know that that nostalgic boomer mythology about the 60s into its you know into its own 
thing and kind of pointing at the corpse and the emptiness of it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, he also subverts it immediately because like uh, uh, Pete's dad is like basically been on a bender ever since he lost his job. Uh, you know, and the town, uh, just just the setup itself, because it's it's really easily set up. Like the the rules are very simple. You know, like you get the the obviously the the idea that no one really leaves this town. And there's like this great line at the beginning where it talks about like the the licorice whip of the black road leading out of town that no one like everyone like looks every time that phrase or that, that piece, that stretch of road shows up for someone to, to watch. Um, they, they somehow um, like it, it, it's it sort of like used, like there's yearning in there. Like somehow no one has ever set foot outside the town. And so it's like this weird trap. It's like its own tiny world, this like sort of agrarian like town that has like these huge cornfields surrounding it. It's never explained exactly where it is, but you get this idea that it is, in fact, in the, you know, what people like to call flyover country, right? Like all the farmland. Oh, definitely. It's a, a Nebraska Gothic, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, this is like uh, it, it, the 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 stories chil- the children of the corn would tell each other to scare each other a little bit more, <laughs> and, you know. And uh, bringing up Stephen King, you know, this is kind of a setting and a time that King would play for nostalgia, while uh, Partridge is just going after it with a fucking knife, <laughs> <laughs> and it's refreshing. Well, it's-, it's refreshing as hell. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean the the I think that the to to in all fairness to king uh he does usually complicate that a little bit but it's oh, not yeah. quite this is very very much like like sticking its eye in like sticking its fingers in the eye of that sort of myth, mythology that we have about like the mid century uh and it's very purposefully doing that uh, it's it's really fantastic. I I just love it because right from the get go, like just the plain fact that poor Pete's been locked in his room for five days, uh, with just a little bit of uh, orange juice to keep him going, uh, just tells you a lot that is not being told uh, immediately. You know that there's something very wrong with this town. It. And uh, uh, just those those first few pages, you see just how gutsy of a damn storyteller uh, Norman Partridge is, because you have that that um, uh, n- that narrator that's a little bit noir, a little bit lightning uh, rod salesman from something wicked this way comes if he was on a nine day bender, and it, and everything that shouldn't work in the hands of a lesser writer he pulls off with just a chef's kiss of beauty. And so it's like, you know, Pete has his little sister and he communicates, and rather than having, you know, a scene with a little sister, he brings up of how there's her palm prints, you know, that she, you know, where she dipped her hands in paint and put it on her door. And it's like, that just grabs you right from the stomach and you, and you can hear her softly crying behind the door. And it's like, okay, right there, right there. You got me. <laughs> the 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 thing about this is that in the hands of a of somebody that wasn't quite so skilled, um, the second person direct narrator that is in is sort of imparting the story to you as the reader would sort of kick you out of the story after a while because it just in in the hands of a lesser writer it would become a little grating after a bit but it it, it's so compelling and i think that the it's done deftly um in a way that it gets it gets out of its own way to just tell you the story Uh, you know and just that that uh uh you know that opening bit it's like uh but you know this already 
you know, he has that line, you know, you know this already. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen like new writers try that shit and it's always in just embarrassing and just like cut that, cut that, get that shit out of here. And, uh, <laughs> um, and in Partridge's hands, it's like, Wait, wait a minute! Come back here, you bastard! What do I already know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's funny because the the narrator themselves has like this voice and yes. imparts that, like you'd mentioned, it does impart like this this sort of this sort of like combination of like a noir, like a almost a Joe Friday mixed together with like something a bit more sly, you know. Um, and it really draws you through the the story of, you know, like it, it shows and it, it bounces. It allows you as a reader to bounce around where the information that the story needs you to have when you need it to ha- need it to ha- need to have it uh, is happening. Right. Because you, you yes. get that that scene at the be- almost at the beginning um, where, you know, they they somebody's arrived at the at this uh weird contraption you know like this cross where they've uh had like a uh pumpkin vine growing there in the midst of a cornfield and slowly but surely like going through this ritualistic type of situation where they're cutting loose the october boy and you realize oh shit it's going to be like a weird like pumpkin-headed scarecrow type of looking dude and uh, and then the final touch is that they jam all sorts of, you know, candy. Uh, like the candy is the the blood and guts that this uh, creature will have. Uh, and slowly but surely, like you, as the story progresses, you start realizing that. I mean, I think that the let, let me back up a second because I think that the issue that I had was I was wondering how is this going, like how is Pete going to carry this all the way through and was immediately like, not immediately. I should say, I should say like about a quarter of the way through, I was surprised because then the October boy becomes a point of view character as well. And it alternates and it sort of changes entire. It sort of turns the um the entire idea of this being a pursuit inside out yes and and you know uh and what is more uh emblematic of halloween than and uh and uh of course some of our favorite works of horror than the monster actually being the good guy mm-hmm the yep. monster's yep. not so monstrous. It's the ones who aren't wearing masks that are monsters. Like, uh, uh, and, and this book is firmly all cops are bastards. Uh, like Officer Ricks. <laughs> it's oh, like such yep. a such a such a great character that you want to hate so much. Yes, and it pay, and, and and the the book easily gives it to you. He's like, yes, he is awful. <laughs> <laughs> hate him freely. <laughs> yes, I mean, um. So when, when you, I mean, when was the first time you read this? Like, did you read this back when it came out? Ah, this is a uh, funny story. Uh, Nearly from the moment it came out, uh, the algorithm has been recommending it to me. And so, you know, for 10 years, it's like, I'd be checking out at the, at uh, Amazon, you know, buying, you know, notepads and pens and then the algorithm would go it's like hey i see how you're buying notepads and pens would you also like to buy dark dark harvest by norman partridge <laughs> and it's like eh. at the time i was a little snooty toward horror and i was like eh, maybe we'll see we'll see you know fast forward so for 10 years there's the algorithm just knocking on my door saying check this out check this out and finally uh brian Keane. And uh, back when he had a podcast, he mentioned it as one of the undiscovered gems of horror. And I uh, looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is the book with the pumpkin monster on the, on the cover." Okay, I'll, I'll give it a read. And it it just blew me away from the from the first word to the last. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I, I'm, I'm picking the, the one time the algorithm has something recommends something good, and I ignore it." <laughs> 
Well, I mean, sometimes that happens. I mean, uh, uh, my, my tastes vary widely and yet still stay within a weird, narrow margin. And it, sometimes it's like, ah, I don't want to read all that. Never mind. <laughs> um, so I, I, I get it. Also, like, it, it's weird how even though you do have, like, these predictive algorithms, it, it always takes word of mouth of some sort, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, Somebody yeah. that you trust. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and I read this because you recommended this to me. And uh, and truth be told, you know, like I've in recent years, I would say that I've only had a, a handful of times. And like I would say since I started writing, I've had a handful of times where I have just just eaten up a book within a day or two. Uh, and I can count them on one hand, like in the last two years. Um, and one of them was the fisherman by John Langan. And this is another one like this one. I, I legitimately read it. I would have read it in a whole day if it wasn't for the fact that I was on vacation. You need to do stuff <laughs> with other people on vacation. Sometimes you just can't just sort of hole up in a, in your room and just like, no, leave me alone. You know, I was, I was, I was glued to my notifications as you were, you know, throughout that day, as you were <laughs> giving progress updates. <laughs> it's, it's really something, man. Uh, I do thank you for, for recommending it. But uh, so, so when you say 10 years was, so you read this, what, 2015, 2016 or so? Uh, about there. Yes. Oh shit. Like 2016 is the year to read this. Really? It really is. <laughs> like I would say even more, even more so than like in the midst of the financial crisis, I think 2016 was, was an eye opener for a lot of us. And um, I, I do think that that's like the perfect year for, for you to see, to read this because it, I, I don't feel like it's trying to sell me on like this weird like it's not like a, a a weird conspiracy, like a weird reactionary conspiracy. It's just simply saying like this town has like this organization who keeps everything on an even keel and controls everything, and somehow they're always on top. It's it's <laughs> it's it's very much, uh, and I think that's a, 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 a you know. I might take the reading a little farther into left wing land here, but it's it's very much a. A uh, uh, there's a certain critique of the liberal order mm -hmm. in there, and one of the things that jumped out on me in preparing for this podcast was, you know, even though it doesn't give very many details, you know, talk about that negative space where it lets you read into it. Um, the one of the things that jumped out on me was that there was a poor part of town, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, we 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 see that there's plenty of wealth to go around. You know the the winners get all this fancy new stuff. they all their needs are taken care of, and you know the 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 harvest is bountiful if they follow the this this ritual. And yet, they instead of lifting all boats, they create a hierarchy. Right, right. Like it, it's designed to be cyclical. And and we can get into spoilers in a, in a little bit, but it's designed to just keep on going. And once you think you've like the rules are these, you know, you catch the October boy, you 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 catch him before he reaches the chapel, you kill him, and you 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 personally because that's that's like ne neoliberalism right there or meritocracy right there. Yes, um, you personally get everything taken care of but no one else there's not room for anyone else because i mean um ty if if everyone got their needs met like there wouldn't be competition people wouldn't want to go to work <laughs> all they would want is uh uh the uh, uh the october boys blood candy <laughs> yeah i mean you just eat too much candy all the time and then you know what where does that get you the, none of this work would be done um and, and i i just find it really interesting that that's sort of like this that's the framework of this of this town and it's sort of like 
it's sort of Americana in and of itself writ small, right? It's yeah. on a small scale. Um, and, and it, as you say, like it's vague enough that it lets you fill in details and sort of bring your own sort of, and that's the thing. I think that if, if you had some weird right winger, uh, reading this, they might be off put by the subversion of like, Oh, the October boy now becomes a character. No, he's supposed to be the bad guy, but they would understand the, the sort of structural critique happening. Right, and they bring yes. their own weirdness to that, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, unfortunately, it's very strange. Uh, unfortunately, you can't prevent the misinterpretation of art. <laughs> oh no, no, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, it doesn't matter how how much you overwrite something; people will take away the wrong things from stuff. Indeed, <laughs> and um, uh, uh, and and. He makes just that, you know. Uh, you know, all, by the time you know all the kids are out and about, you know, there's very they're very much possessed by this rise and grind mindset of we have to prove that we're the one worthy uh, by killing the uh, the October boy, and it right. whips them up into this uncontrollable frenzy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the the fact that they're also just like all of them are just loopy with five days of, you know, fasting. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to structure something that sounded, you know, exactly like what new liberalism is, yes. I, I don't know how much more, you know, like on the nose this could be. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's really just brilliantly done and uh one of the most poignant parts of of the book is when um uh, i guess you know, give the give the spoiler warning here mm-hmm. um but uh we're following the um the october boy he fights off some uh hooligans for lack of a better word you know the school bullies from central casting um in the cornfield and he steals a car and he gets into town and he goes to his family's old house and their narrator has been dropping hints up until this point but then he reveals that both he the narrator and you the reader were once october boys mm-hmm. And that you you once uh, uh, ran in this melee and won, mm-hmm. and were eventually yeah. killed. Yes, it's so good. I mean that that is really like I was I was sort of expecting that. It's weird because I think that the minute that uh, you know the October Boy becomes a point of view character. I felt like that was foreshadowing. It's not that it's an entire surprise, but it's, it's just like this weird, like this supernova that goes off in your brain. Like, Oh, Oh, and it's sort it really just recontextualizes everything that you've seen so far and everything that you've read. And it's, it's such a good, um, especially when we're talking about like cyclicality, right? This idea that, that the the cycle, like just like the cycle of you know, um, you know, uh, sowing, you know, seeding, uh, and sowing crops happens. This same thing has happened over and over and over again. And it, who knows how far back it's gone, but that's what keeps this town sort of going. It's sort of like a weird, um, I, I it's sort of like Omalas meets like a sort of Jackson, Shirley Jackson town, you know, it's yeah. just like very strange combination, but it really works. It, it, it does. And, and, um, uh, and with, uh, Jim Shepard, uh, who's the October boy, it's like, you get that sense that he is, you know, just from the word go that he is incredibly smart and that he is, um, 
uh, going to figure this out, but you know, it's when Jim goes to his house, his old, his family's old house, you know, it's in the poor part of town mm-hmm. and he sees all these messages of hope of, from the people who have been desperate to get out, lifting him up as almost this mythological figure. And then he decides to be that mythological figure. And yeah. it's an incredibly, it's like you already had this really powerful twist. And then he hits you with that. And it's, it's firmly on the side of the working poor and the, the working class. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so bloody exquisite (laughs) it really is i mean and and sort of i I think it takes um our other protagonist pete a little bit to figure out exactly what's going on because that's the other thing i feel like pete um is perhaps not obviously he hasn't gone through what jim's gone through uh and he's you know but he wants to win because that's sort of the prize that's been put in front of him, but he's also suspicious of it. Yes. And, and he's, and for everybody else who's running, they, you know, not like Jim, they or like a, a Pete McCormick, they want to win and get out, but it's for their own self aggrandizement and glory. While with Pete, he wants to get his sister out. And uh, eventually when he meets Kelly, who is a girl trying to make the run, uh, which shocks and stuns everybody, uh, (laughs) and makes her a target until Pete intervenes and they start breaking kneecaps together when just a glorious, glorious scene. This, you see this, 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 this trait of self-sacrifice, and uh, sticking up for the little guy, for the powerless, for the disempowered, mm-hmm. and uh, and in the end, that's and and you kind of see a dark reflection. Uh, you see, well, you see the uh, the opposite side of the coin in Jim's dad, uh, whose name I've forgotten, but uh, Mister Shepherd. Uh, you know he he goes out to the cornfield. He watches officers. You know after once his boy won, he goes out to the cornfield. His um his uh he watches Officer Rick put two in the back of his son's head, and that's when the uh our narrator ties it all back together. And it's like yeah, this was the guy at the beginning carving a face into the into the pumpkin, mm-hmm. and. So now he's gotten all the wealth, you know, he's gotten, his needs are met, he's taken care of, he's got money out the wazoo, and he is utterly empty and yeah. in despair. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough, right? Because it's, it's really, um, it is, it, it, this sounds sort of cliche, right? But it, it, I think that the, the way that it's presented sells it. Um, but you know, it, it's, it is sort of like, well, you got everything you wanted. All it cost you was, you know, your, your firstborn son and, and possibly your soul, you know? And I think that the, you know, it holds off like the, 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 the novella holds off on making that reveal in part because it wants you to keep you like, it, it wants oh, yeah. to put some weight behind that particular sort of accusation or, or characterization. But once it hits, you understand that, you know, like what, what does one person, you know, like what does one parent have, uh, you know, what tools does one person have against this organization? Yeah. Uh, against the this systemic, system. yeah, the systemic thing. And it really sort of sells you on it because it's true. I mean, like he's he's just miserable. Like he he has this brand new house that's just like empty. Uh, you know, no one really it, it doesn't have a soul in it because they they've. I mean, let's face it they they put up their son as a sacrifice to get it, 
and a brand new car and everything, everything's <sighs> been taken care of. And, uh, you know, I don't, I think that if it had been someone who was aspiring, like was already sort of, sort of had some wealth and was aspiring to more, that would, that would be very cliche, right? It, it wouldn't make sense. Because, you know, once yes. you are climbing and you are uh, sort of gathering wealth to yourself, you sort of already, that, that engine in your own mind of justifications and rationalizations just is just chugging away. You know, you, you just compartmentalize all that shit. But these are people that came straight from like the poor side of town to wealth, like wealth that they could never have imagined. And all it cost them was their, their firstborn son, you know, that's it. And, and, uh, and you know, and, uh, and even I, it's like when in revisiting this, uh, even I forgot the, the ending, uh, cause you're, you're constantly expecting, it's like, okay, he's October boy, you know, uh, Jim has overcome everything. He is at the church, uh, you know, and of course the, the the dramatic tension is reaching. Just it's it's screaming at this point, and um, he goes in there and he finds the body of his father, and uh, Partridge uses the language of a stripped gearbox, and it just hits with such power and authenticity. And it's like, yeah, the most heroic thing his dad could have done in that moment to help his son was commit suicide. Right. Well, I mean, he had been put up to it at that point by uh, by Officer Ricks, because, I mean, like at this point, Ricks and I like Ricks is like the 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 shock troops of the of the Harvesters Guild. Right. Like yeah. the shadow reorganization. And he is recruiting people left and right to just throw themselves in front of what he suspects is going to happen. Because uh, like, he can't kill October Boy. It has to be another teenage boy that doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, he, he, he manages, like, the, one of the last gambits he has is apart from like recruiting a couple of the, uh, assholes that uh, were trying to assault Kelly at the beginning uh, or towards the beginning, I should say. Um, he, he convinces uh, Jim's father to be sitting in there just to sort of buy time, you know, just to sort of throw him off kilter. Yeah. Uh, and, go ahead. So sorry. No, no. I was just going to say that it's just sort of wild because it, it does sort of show in a very uh, detailed sense like that last I would say that last mile to the chapel which is like basically you know you touch you you touch the 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 you know you get to your goal and and that's it you know the, the game's over uh that last mile to the chapel which is the end point that the October boy is supposed to get to before he can win and everyone else loses is like almost a quarter of the last part of the, of the, of the novella because it, it keeps on like everyone keeps throwing themselves in front of the machinery to make sure that it keeps on chugging along. Yeah. Like everyone is invested in keeping the system alive. And I think that that's just brilliant. Like from a leftist perspective, that's brilliant because honestly, that's exactly what I see every day. Like shit, we had, we just in this year, in 2020, we had like, well, they, they just printed out a bunch of like a trillion dollars of money just because to make the line go up for a bit. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very LinkedIn mindset of, uh, I'm going to keep, uh, sacrificing my happiness to achieve, to attain this illusion of success regardless of whatever it does to me spiritually or emotionally or you know i'm not going to see my wife uh because i'm working 12 hours a day at my job or 16 hours a day if you're at pwc and um uh, and it's like by the time you notice that you're married it's like you're you're already two different people yeah and and it's so brilliant and what uh and what jim does to 
distract from the people you know, from the people who are going to be martyrs for the system is he begins his act of revolutionary violence by burning entire neighborhoods to the ground <laughs> it's so good i mean uh, i i uh refresh my memory um because at that point he had almost suffered like one of the things that that uh will kill the october boy is if you you basically crack the his pumpkin head basically yes um and so he does receive like a big jolt like it's he's hardly he's almost not together you know like his head's been sort of split uh if i remember correctly like there's passages where he's they're talking about like how the the fire that is animating him um ever since uh, brilliant touch i love it the the minute the uh the the eyes and the nose are carved out at the beginning um when he's when his dad is carving his open mouth, he sticks a bunch of atomic fireball candies in there, and yes. that's what sort of really lights up the the pumpkin head. <laughs> As a huge uh, so, fan of the atomic fireball uh, candy, I when I read that for the first time, <laughs> I stood up and cheered. I was like, "Yes, sir!" Put some respect on that name. Um, but also, like a part of it is that his his head sort of cracked open, so there's flames sort of like licking out of the 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 cracks and stuff where he's barely held together. I don't remember. Does he actually light it? Uh, I don't remember if it's his own fire or he actually has a lighter. Uh, I don't remember either off the top of my head. Um. Well, uh, either I, way, I think that it's it's fantastic because, like, honestly, like, either way, he consciously makes this decision to to sort of burn some you know well to do houses as a distraction. Yes, in a in a town that has one fire engine, and then <laughs> these fires just start popping up all over all over town, and uh, uh, and Officer Ricks sees what's about to happen and he makes a beeline for the church and he crashes into October boy's uh, car. And that's how he gets that, that crack that almost kills him. That's right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and just to touch on his flames, you know, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning of the episode, you know, I I spoke about how this is Halloween, the book. Um, He repeatedly described Partridge repeatedly describes October boy's breath as smelling of burnt cinnamon, gunpowder, and wax. And <laughs> he sprinkles those kind of details throughout. And I'm like, that is exactly what Halloween, if Halloween had a smell, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, uh, we, yeah. We all know that people get like those, those little uh, chickpea uh, poppers in their, in their uh, Halloween bags. I mean, I guess in the not-so-safe neighborhoods, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I just, like, I also enjoyed the fact that um, Officer Ricks is not a pushover. Like, yes. uh, he, is, he is legitimately a scary antagonist to have in this entire narrative because he's just, like, just, he's just, Ah, God, he's so vile. He murders murders a bunch of kids. He murders a bunch of kids who are looting a grocery store. Uh, And it's just commented on like, well, that's just the thing. And Rick's own and Rick's own, uh, you know, his his reaction to it as well. Had to uh, had to happen. Uh, uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, town won't miss these people, right? And, well, and his and his and his just animal cunning, right? Well, I was going to say that. Yeah, he's he. That's the thing. He's 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 a vile character, but he's not dumb. He's got like this low cunning to him that immediately when he sees the fires, he realizes, oh shit, he's going to make a run for the chapel. Uh, yeah, and he realizes that it's a huge distraction. Um, yes. So he he's there to really sort of uh, in, intercept, um, you know, the October boy. But also, let's not forget if we can jump back real quick because one of the first things that um, that Pete does uh, is to like his dad gives him like a machete, 
that's you know that's what held him you know in his when he was doing his run back in the day and pete's like yeah that's nice fuck that i'm gonna go break into officer rick's house because i know that motherfucker has guns yes. and he breaks into his gun cabinet and that's what sets off like it's it's weird right it's 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 like a really sort of um anti-establishment type of character in pete that then sort of because ricks has like this vengeance like he he can't let any type of disrespect go he's after pete for a long time in the novel or in the novella i should say and then that's what sort of gets him on the trail for oh shit the october boys making a run for it you know and that type of thing it's just really it really sells it to me in the sense that i i it would feel a little bit contrived or uh artificial in in sort of a lesser writer's hands and and, and it's a joy just to read a, a writer taking so many gutsy ballsy choices and just pulling them off like they're nothing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so um let me ask you this because i i, I don't uh, after this uh I, I i haven't really researched it has partridge done anything else or anything pre prior to this He's he's done a lot of stuff prior, mostly uh, in short fiction and uh, flash fiction. Uh, he's got a couple of uh, uh, crime novels from the '90s and uh, a couple of horror books, but this this is his what he's known for, hmm. and and so and I haven't delved into his bibliography because he's one of those guys where it's like. I, I want to savor this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 sort of weird because I, I haven't really looked looked into this because this just feels like a, a a a grand slam. You know, it just feels like he he did like a Babe Ruth. He pointed to where he was going to hit the ball out of the park, and then he proceeds to do exactly that. And, and honestly, like I, I just love the subversiveness of this of this book, um, the the guts that, like, I, and also the prescience, right? Like he's writing this. I'm gonna guess like prior to 2006 because it can't have been like he couldn't have like just written this. And I mean, you, I guess you could, but uh, I'm gonna guess that he probably, uh, you know, this is a story that developed over you know at least a year beforehand. Oh, definitely. So this like really feels like it was like predicting like it it doesn't even have the pulse of what was going on it's predicting something uh like he he had his he he was like had his ear to the ground if i can mix my metaphors uh and was just hearing a rumbling that was coming up and this is the book that came out you know i don't know I, yeah and uh what makes it uh, even more extraordinary is that he's setting it in the uh, in the past. You know, uh, uh, an absolute hack with this material would put it in the present day and make the the message uh, obvious. And mm -hmm. um, and uh, and of course, it it would get hyped to hell and back for a month, and then everybody would forget about it. Yeah, uh, I I would also add because i we we had talked about this or you had talked about this a little bit early in in the episode but so there's there's a certain type of story that um that, that i feel like it's a little bit overused like i guess maybe you know it, it came from like old twilight zone episodes and whatnot you know where it's like and then it turns out the real monsters all along were us and it it sometimes it works but many times it's not really like it's it's not it's sort of like almost an eye-rolling uh sort of yes. revelation and it this this novella does that to an extent but it also lets you know well 
I mean, it wasn't us, us, but we're all complicit in it. There was this giant, there was these, this machinery that's operating in the background that forces us to be this way. And that's, I feel a much more canny revelation than just like, and then the monsters were human beings all along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, um, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was I was saying this about Clive Barker the other day, and that in order to have you know a quote unquote loud story like this, you have to be really damn good with the subtleties. Mm-hmm. And so he and he and so it's like he, we're complicit in the monstrosity, but he doesn't draw that conclusion for the reader mm-hmm. yeah he lets the reader come to it to, with their with their uh, uh through the story and the subtext which makes yeah. it resonate so much more than if he had made you know actual text right well i think that i i, I know that the show don't tell is overused and sort of over um like it's it's a it's almost an overused trope, uh, not trope, but it's almost a trope in and of itself by now. Yes. Uh, and I feel like it's 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 a good starting point uh, for a lot of stuff, but because obviously you need to tell certain things, there's got to be a good balance. Uh, yes. Is what I'm trying to get at. But the, the the point here is that he sort of shows you, uh, like each of the four corners of a table, but he doesn't tell you that it's a table. You got to figure that out by yourself. And when you do, I mean, obviously he does it skillfully enough that you make the leap with him, uh, at least in my case. And you realize, oh shit, that's a table. You know, and yes. he, gives, <laughs> he gives you the sort of like the, the thrill of, discovering that even though he's pointed it out and obviously he's doing it with you know with with intention but it it makes it feel like you're discovering it and perhaps even for the first time you know indeed indeed and um um and you know to and that's not you know to, to touch on you know having a good balance of showing and telling uh partridge does you know he uses that second person direct address to tell a lot of stuff um like you know uh, uh with uh, Mr. Shepherd and the 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 gearbox with the 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 gears ground down to the filings it's like when he when he tells he does it beautifully and it has emotional weight and it just takes your breath away yeah yeah and, i agree and uh, uh, and you know, and at the end, and you know, um, and, and I like what he does with the ending here, because um, usually the ending is where most horror works blow it, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. And um, what he does here, because and I'm gonna just group, uh, you know, horror endings into two categories. There's the uh, good guys win category, and then there's, you know, but uh, you know because of the dark nature of the genre, uh, what happens an equal amount of the time is the downer ending, and he kind of goes for both. Pete mm-hmm. and Kelly, you know, once the town starts burning, you see the oppressed people realizing what's going on, and they're just getting in their cars. And they're going down that black li- uh, black licorice whip road, and they're getting the fuck out of Dodge. And uh, and so Pete Kelly and uh, his and, uh, Pete's dad and his and his little sister are all in the car, heading out of town as well. And in fact, in a little bit of a a beautiful redemption moment, you find out that Pete's dad, um. Uh, lost his job and became an alcoholic because he stood up to the uh, 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 to the secret society, mm-hmm. uh, the guild, and um, 
<laughs> and so there's a little bit of a reconciliation there. And then, um, and oh God, I completely forgot about this, but it, of course you, you discover that um, with Kelly, her parents were murdered by Ricks and the Guild because after, after World War II, they would not come back to town. Jeez. They refused. They refused to, and so the guild went out there, murdered, and brought back Kelly. And so Kelly's, and that's why Kelly's in the run. Um, which kudos to Partridge. He's got two whip smart boys, and he has a girl who's every bit their equal in smarts and cleverness. And uh, he does a just a fantastic job with her characterization. But. And so that's the happy ending. That's the emotionally resonant and satisfying ending. And it just, it's pitch perfect. And for the sad ending, <laughs> and this is, I guess, is the fate of all revolutionaries uh, uh, in one way or another, is they're not able to enjoy the fruits of their revolution, you know, unless you're Fidel Castro and Che Guevara. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jim Shepard dies in the movie theater fire uh and so he's burnt away with the ashes of the town and it's just utterly heartbreaking it's like you know once once you get to the chapel and re and he realizes his dad dies and you're just you know up at that moment you've been cheering for our protagonists to get out and you're like oh yes you're gonna get out oh shit what about october boy <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's all. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also like one of these things where you you really root for him, but like, what's a what's a pumpkin? You know, like what's a pumpkin head gonna do in the in the wide world? Like, <laughs> do, does the magic unravel once he leaves? You know, the town limits. Uh, and so I I do feel like, um, yes, it's it is sad. Don't get me wrong, but also like it, it's one of these things that I feel like Partridge doesn't telegraph but lets you sort of think about like well okay so he's like an actual monster <laughs> what does you know what how can a monster exist in in our world and sadly you know part of the part of the answer seems to be well you know uh i don't know i don't think he does yeah and uh and it's it's utterly appropriate and it's and it's satisfying even though you wish that he could you know leave the town and grow and start his own pumpkin patch <laughs> or right become a, or become an urban legend somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so, a new a new cryptid you know <laughs> yes <laughs> st louis got a new uh, uh new cryptid <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean i i so anyway, I, I'm going to say, you know, like, obviously we, we've spoiled this one for everyone. If you haven't read it yet, go out and read it. I, I still think that even though we may have spoiled some of the things, there is a lot that cannot be spoiled. Simply the, the language used and the way that it's, it's yes. sort of structured and just the, the sheer verve of the entire project is, is something that I cannot spoil. It is really something. Yeah. Um, it, it, it it's it's definitely one of those Silent Hill two experiences where uh, on paper you're like, eh, well, I don't know about that, but it is so flawless in its execution that I mean, you know, I I revisited this and there and I'd completely forgot like when I read it, I'd completely forgotten about the twist. Yeah, and it hit me again. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it, it, once once this once you're in the flow of the story, sometimes that happens, you know. Yeah, and uh, and, and he's able, you know. And, and as as writers, it's like we we usually see, you know, it's like going to a it's like a, a magician watching another magician. It's like they know how the trick works, and so <laughs> the illusion isn't as wondrous. But you know, as you pointed out earlier this is something where just the magic envelops you. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, like I, I do, I do think that uh, starting writing and learning how stories are sort of constructed, like they're, they're not simply like, you know, many times these, these stories just do not sort of 
spring forth you know entire like you know athena from the the brow of zeus uh you you have to make them and you know there's there's very few combinations that are new but uh and and that's not that's not a knock. I mean, simply that's that's just <laughs> that's just the that's way just it the is. odds. Yeah, that's just the odds. You know, you you can't really come up with a a, a completely new idea um, necessarily, but you can come up with different combinations and then bring something that you have to it, and that's what makes something really sing. And honestly, I feel like this is something that. Um, like you were saying, I wasn't like sitting there looking for the for the bad seams in the in the in the stitching. You know, it was just simply like I was in it, and that's it. And I was like, I I consumed this over a day, and like it, it's amazing. It's really good. And um, anyone that's listening to this who hasn't read it by now, go read it. it you're gonna enjoy yourself. It is in fact the the season of Halloween in book form. <laughs> In, in fact, I ca- I kind of want to speak on that a little bit because, uh, um, uh, you know, to, to harken back to what they call the run, the trick or treating ritual, um, <laughs> you know, they you have just one of the things I, I I love is the the symbolic cannibalism, and the way he describes it is so grisly. Too, uh, considering that it's just a bunch of boys ripping out candy bars, <laughs> but they're doing, and you know, this ties back to what we were saying about neoliberalism. Is there's this symbolic cannibalism mm-hmm. underlying yeah. it, uh, and it's and just just that 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 Halloween atmosphere just pours through every sentence. Yeah, I mean, it. I feel like it's it's sort of in context. It's hor it's horrifying, but you know, like you said, and like if you just sort of atomize every and compartmentalize everything, it's just a bunch of kids eating candy out of a weird, you know, pumpkin guy. Yeah. Uh, the candy isn't anything. It's candy. Yeah, give me my atomic know, fireballs. <laughs> why, why? Why are you getting all worked up? It's candy, silly. And you're like, no, dude, that's guts. That's his guts. You're eating his guts. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is um you know this is you know horror does not lack for you know art we have an, an incredible backlist filled with underrated hits but there is nothing better for the halloween season than freaking dark harvest by the goat norman partridge hell yeah uh, by the way it looks like uh they it looks like it had been optioned a while back and it it's been, I guess in development hell, they apparently they were going to release a movie this year. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Uh, so it's going to be next year. Uh, I oh. think what was it like September something next year? Uh, September 9th, 2022. Well, knock on wood. Let's hope that it, it actually does get all the way through. Yeah, because uh, that's that's um, that's one of the things I, I noticed in my third time reading it was his use of imagery is just right for a horror film. It's mm-hmm. like you have the, this bit where uh, Jim is uh, or Jim's dad is under the moon and he's holding up the carving knife, getting ready to carve the face into uh, the old hacksaw tooth, and um, and it's just like you can see it clearly. You can just see it up on the big screen. And it's like, yeah, why hasn't somebody made this into a movie yet? This is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and and I honestly, I think that novellas and novelettes are probably very, very ripe uh, material to uh, adapt. Um, honestly, novels are, are too big. Uh, I yes. feel for for you know really a a you know 90 to two hour movie uh and it, it's just often badly served by trying to adapt them to the screen but um in any case this is a lots of fun it does have a lot of kinetic sort of action to it and uh and sort of um a lot of 
imagery, like you said, that that will probably appeal. So, you know, uh, good luck on the uh, getting it to be a movie. Uh, but, you know, read the book, folks. Yeah, uh, the book's the book. The book's out right now. The movie's out next year, supposedly. So, because yeah. uh, the one thing the movie's not going to get is that is that narration. No, not at all. That voice is just fantastic. It is. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I think we've fully spoiled uh, Dark Harvest for for anyone that's been listening. <laughs> uh, even <laughs> though I'm I'm half joking because I I don't think you can really spoil. Uh, like you said, the voice and and just like the the feel of it, uh, it can't be spoiled. But um, any last thoughts regarding um, Norman Partridge's novella? Uh, five out of five pumpkins. I will probably read it again in October. <laughs> yep, we rate pumpkins. Uh, I'm going to give it six out of five because it's just just great, just great, just an uh, all timer. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I don't say that lightly. Um, but yeah, uh, in any case, go read it, folks. Uh, and uh, if, well, and, and Ty, uh, do you have anything coming up? Do you have, uh, w- where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Feast Last at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I usually go by the name uh, Last Feast of Harlequin. I'm generally shitposting about horror uh, uh shitting on YA and uh, shit posting about the Ravens. So what more <laughs> could you possibly want? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Ty. And uh, folks, for we'll me. catch. Yeah. Glad to have you. And um, to our listeners, we'll catch you next time at the Graveside. <laughs>